Well, congregation, I want to invite you now to turn with me in God's Word to what we just sang, Zechariah's prophecy this morning. Uh, Where we left off in Luke chapter 1 last week, we want to begin reading in verse 57, but our scripture lesson this morning will come from verses 67 through 80. We want to read God's Word under the heading of Zechariah's Merciful Lord from Luke chapter 1 beginning in verse 57. Let's give our attention now to the reading of God's Word. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosened, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant, the oath that He swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. And you, child will be called the prophet of the Most High, and you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the days of his public appearance to Israel. This is the word of the Lord. The grass shall wither, the flowers will fade, but this word of God shall stand forever. Dear congregation, I want to start this morning with a statement for you. When God speaks, we should listen. When God speaks, we should listen. Zechariah learned this lesson, and he learned it the hard way. If you flip back in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, and verse 13, an angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah when he was in the temple and told him that he would have a son named John. But Zechariah doubted. He didn't believe him and his wife Elizabeth were in their old age. And so the angel, you know the story, 
strikes John deaf and mute for nine months. God had spoken, but Zechariah didn't listen. Wonder with me for a moment this morning. What would Zechariah have been thinking about during those nine months of silence? Actually, he tells you in his hymn. He sings, God has spoken. Spoken to the prophets of old. Spoken to His servant David. Spoken to His servant Abraham. God has spoken to His people of the Messiah to come. And we should listen. Even when the odds seem insurmountable, even when faith seems foolish, when God speaks, His people should listen, His people should believe, and His people should trust in Him. Of course, Zechariah had a moment of doubt in the temple. But after nine months of silence, God has shown him, when I speak, my promises will come to pass. In the Scripture passage that we're looking at this morning, a baby is born. And it was the same way in the ancient world when a baby was born as it is today. There is a flurry of excitement and activity. We see all the lady, local ladies and the neighbors come from the surrounding community and they uh, come for this great event, the circumcision, which would have been on the eighth day. And much like we went, when we have a baptism here, all the friends and family come. There's probably food and pleasantries. And on the eighth day, that was when the ancient Jews would have named the child. Jesus was named on the eighth day. And so too was John the Baptist. This is a great event. This day is the day when we figure out who this child is. What he's going to be. And it's all the more exciting. Because this is the first baby for Zechariah and Elizabeth. Of course, I'm a new minister here. But I imagine some of you have struggled probably with infertility in your life. And then when the Lord gives in His mercy, a child to somebody who struggled with infertility. Imagine, remember that joy. And then it's all the more exciting. Not only has God given us a child, but then He also has given us His promises in baptism. He's given us the promises in circumcision. There's all this excitement. And now He's going to be named Zechariah, it says. In verse 59. But Elizabeth says no. His name shall be John. And there's a shock in the crowd. And they're so convinced she's wrong, they begin to sign language to Zechariah in verse 62 to try to get him to persuade his wife. But after nine months, and the first time since verse 18 of Luke chapter 1. The spotlight is on Zechariah. The last word he spoke was doubt. He doubted God's promises. Now the spotlight's back on him. Is your mouth still filled with doubts, Zechariah? 
Are you going to trust God's promises now? And he asks for a wooden tablet, probably covered with wax, and what does he write? His name is John. John, the name means this. Yahweh is merciful. His name is Yahweh is merciful. And his tongue is loosened. And the first words on his lips, after doubting God, in verse 113, is now praising God. The silent period has led Zechariah to the conclusion that no matter how impossible God's promises may seem, no matter how insurmountable the odds, no matter how foolish faith may be, when God speaks, His people should listen. And so Zechariah, we want to turn now to his prophecy. This is our theme. Zechariah prophesies of the person to whom John will point. Zechariah prophesies to the person to whom John will point. And he spoke about two ministries. He spoke about the Messiah's rule and the Messiah's forerunner. The Messiah's rule and the Messiah's forerunner. And before we look at that, I just want to give one sidebar, one comment. Notice with me how often Zechariah speaks of the dawning of the light. Notice how often he alludes to other Bible verses that a light is coming. Yes, the people have dwelt in darkness, but God has spoken that light is coming and they should believe. This is seen, actually, if you look in these uh, first verse here of our Scripture passage, beginning in verse 68, Israel was in much the same situation that Zechariah was in. Zechariah is an old man, and after years of infertility, they never had a child. This would have been a source of great shame for them, and Israel is actually in a similar situation. They hadn't had a prophet in over 400 years. They're no longer their own nation. They're just a people who exist within the Roman Empire. If you read through their history, they've been plagued with wars, plagued with tyranny. Jerusalem, since the Babylonian captivity, has been awash with the blood of God's people. A broken nation. It would have been hard for them to believe God's promises when God said to the Jews, you'll be a holy priesthood, a holy realm, dignified before men. I'll be your defender. I will be with you. If we went back in time and looked at the nation of Israel, we might conclude that they were wrong to trust in God. But look at what Zechariah says in verse 68. God has visited. Congregation, you cannot judge God by your calendar. God may sometimes seem to be slow or even forgotten His promises. But one of the main themes of the nativity story, I love the way Tim Keller puts it, is that God may take His time, but He always keeps His Word. That's what Zechariah's point is in verse 68. 
Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people. And He's not talking about John. He's not talking about Mary. But if you jump down to verse 78, it says the sunrise, the Messiah shall visit us. Elsewhere in Luke's Gospel, Luke 7, verse 16, uh, Luke wrote also the book of Acts, and verse Acts 15, verse 14, the word visitation refers to God's saving act. His helping hand. God has come to save His people. God has not forgotten us, Zechariah says. God has not forgotten His people or His promise, He still has a plan. And it's only heightened by the fact that God has not only come to visit, but He has come to redeem. Israel was in great need of redemption. Of course, they were in bondage to Rome, but even more so, they needed redemption from their sins. And this promise was a long time coming. Again, to reiterate, 400 years without a prophet. Israel is weak and needy. They're tossed about by Rome and other nations. It looked like God had forgotten them. But what Zechariah is saying in verse 68 is that God's promise is not weak. God has been with them in the silence. He has not abandoned them. That despite the darkness of the world, a light was about to dawn. And congregation, isn't this true for us as well? Sometimes we may feel that God's promises are ill-timed. We want the fulfillment of God's promises now. We want death vanquished now. We want the church Full now, evil destroyed now, but we need to remember that God is with us even in the silent periods. That for the 400 years of Israel, or the silence of the nine months of Zechariah, it was God ordained that the dawning of the light would be even brighter. I think we could understand Zechariah's words like this. Is that when we see Christ, we will know that all of the hardships we endured in life were worth it. That suffering, whether it's 400 years in Roman captivity or infertility or whatever it may be in your life, suffering is not without aim. The trials which we endure are not meaningless, but in fact, it makes His glory in Christ all the more brighter. And it makes His grace in Christ all the more sweeter. God is in the silence working out His good purposes. And God, or Zechariah says, excuse me, that God has always been with His people. He's given promises that He has always been with His people. We can think throughout Bible history of many examples of God speaking to His people and promising them salvation. 
But one of the most important characters of the Bible is King David. If we survey, look with me at verses 69 through 71, you get this idea of militaristic language. He has raised up a horn of salvation. Verse 69, 71, saved from our enemies, from the hand of all who hates us. This is describing great strength, great military power, referring to God's Davidic promise of deliverance. Horn, that word horn is actually a common phrase used throughout the Scriptures to refer to strength. Remember back in Deuteronomy, Moses said to Ephraim and Manasseh, you are the horn because they were the biggest and they were the strongest. Likewise, a biblical analogy of cutting off the horn is cutting off strength. The removal of power. Young children, maybe there are some of you who's maybe some of your parents are uh, raising a bull, probably for meat. Uh, but you might have heard this terminology, don't mess with the bull because you get the horns. I trust you've heard that analogy before. But if mom and dad cut off the horns of that animal, they're cutting off the strength of that animal. But God is said here to raise up a horn of salvation. That He is restoring to Israel their strength. He will give to Israel their power, their joy, and their prestige once more. If you flip back with me to Psalm 132, I think this is what Zechariah is quoting here. Psalm 132, verse 17. Psalm 132 is a psalm about the Davidic promise. About how through David, God will overcome hardship. But the question is, how will God overcome hardship? He says in verse 17, I will make a horn sprout for David. I will restore power to them. But look at the second half of verse 17. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. Again, this analogy of the light dawning. The principle, I think, is actually quite clear. That God's power is not seen in military might. The horn of salvation is not in armies and tanks and firearms, the horn of salvation, the power of God is in the pregnancy of Elizabeth and Mary. God does not overcome the kingdom of darkness by military might. He doesn't overcome the kingdom of darkness by bearing the sword. He overcomes the kingdom of darkness by shining the light of the Gospel. And this is again one of those great nativity themes. Our call to worship this morning was from Isaiah chapter 9. A verse so often read this time of year. That a people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. 
Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. And then we jump to verse 6. To us a son is given. And we say amen and we go home. But an often missed principle is verse 5 of Isaiah 9. The boot of every trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. In the Nativity story, the great deliverance that comes in the Son does not require physical strength. Deliverance does not require warriors' boots or weapons. John is a sign that somebody else will deliver you. Somebody else will deliver you. Zechariah, flipping back to Luke chapter 1, says, the one who will deliver us is the one that the prophets spoke of old about. The horn of David. The son of salvation. Who delivers not by his might, not by his beauty, not by his strength, but he delivers by his suffering on the cross. That by his blood he destroys the power of Satan. And He saves His people. That is the might of God. Congregation, the church cannot trust in military might. We cannot trust in the physical strengths of this world like cash in the bank. We cannot trust in who is in political office as the measure of God's strength. We must be a people who trust in the strength of Christ. And Zechariah meditates on this in the second Bible character that he talks about. There was deliverance promised to David, but there was mercy promised to Abraham. The hymn shifts from deliverance to mercy. You know, a dozen times in the Bible, God is said to be merciful and gracious. Paul says of God, He is Rich in mercy. He is the Father of mercy. And God is called merciful over and over again in the Bible because He is the only one of us who can truly even be merciful. What I mean by that is this. It is very hard for us to be merciful. Even with good intentions, we struggle with being merciful because mercy is this. A simple definition of mercy is showing compassion to someone even though they don't deserve it. And Abraham is a great illustration of someone receiving mercy even though they don't deserve it. I know that Abraham's called the father of the faithful. He did many great things in his life. But congregation, Abraham is not any better than anyone else. Abraham was born a pagan. His father was an idol maker. Twice he gave his wife away. He didn't trust in God's promise. He sinned with Hagar in Genesis 16. In short, just like Mary, 
Abraham was a sinner. He didn't deserve heaven. He didn't deserve the promise. He didn't even deserve Isaac. But when God spoke, he's listening and believing. God saved Abraham. God changed his name. God called Abraham to follow him and promised him heaven because of his mercy, because of his compassion upon someone who didn't even deserve it. God had promised to have been Abraham's God. God has promised to be Mary and Zechariah's God. To be our God by His mercy. And now Zechariah sings of this mercy. That God has promised deliverance to David. He has promised mercy to Abraham. Congregation, God is speaking. Are you listening? And believing? And trusting? in His promises of old. In the Messiah's rule, there are no enemies. Satan has been defeated in Christ. Sin has been defeated. Death has been defeated. Hell has been defeated. Christ has overcome them all. And Zechariah applies Christ's rule to our lives. He didn't come just for our assurance, but He came that we also might serve Him with holiness and righteousness all of our lives. That's a simple application, isn't it? Think about it like this. Imagine living in a place where there's only a few hours of darkness every day. Excuse me, a few hours of sunlight, I should say. And some of you might say, well, isn't that where you're from in Canada? Well, yes, in the north, uh, there is places where they don't get hardly any sunlight every day. How much would you love that dazzling, beautiful, life-giving sun? When I was in seminary, I lived in a basement apartment in Indiana. And then when we moved here to Michigan, one of the best parts of living here was just the sun which has now been covered up this winter. But Zechariah rejoices this morning that the light has dawned. He has lived in darkness. And this light has shown him the way to salvation. Not in working, not in His own righteousness, not in His own holiness. But this light has pointed Him to the deliverance promised of old in Jesus Christ. He is the light of the world. And there is a new dawn coming for the people of old. We want to now turn to the second half of Zechariah's hymn, the Messiah's forerunner. In the last few verses of this hymn, verses 69 and 70, Zechariah focuses on the future ministry of his son. And it's just a few verses, but there's something very strikingly beautiful about these last few verses of what he sings of. 
Zechariah rejoiced those years ago in the fact that his son will know and point others to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Let's pause here for a moment. Isn't this what every parent wants for their kids? Children who know and burn for the Lord Jesus Christ? Kids who are here this afternoon, or excuse me, this morning, if you want to get your parents a good Christmas gift this year, love Jesus. Parents who love Jesus want their children to love Jesus. You could almost rephrase Zechariah's words in verses 76 through 79 that he rejoices that God has chosen his son to love and preach Jesus Christ. He rejoices that John has been called to the ministry. His son, he says, will be the prophet of the Most High, anointed and called by God. 400 years ago, if you go back to Malachi 3, verse 1, God had said there would be a new messenger who would prepare the way for the Messiah. He would know Jesus Christ and He would be as close to Jesus Christ as any man on earth ever was. He would know Jesus Christ. Recently at Trinity here, we've had five students who indicated their faith in the Lord Jesus and their desire to profess their faith. If I could speak to the parents of those children for just one moment, does that not fill you with joy? Parents who have children who profess their faith, seeing your child in front of the church saying, I love and believe in the promises of Christ, does it not fill us with joy? And overwhelm us with a love for the Lord. You see, John was promised by the angel that his son would love Jesus Christ and he would be the tool that would point others to Jesus Christ and he would share the love of Jesus Christ abroad. That he'll go before Christ and call people to salvation. But his son came with a message The world is still a dark place. But John is a glimpse of the light that will come. The most poetic verse in this whole hymn, I think, is verse 78. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. The coming of Christ. John's preaching of the coming of Christ is from the tender mercy of God. You'll like this Greek word. That word tender mercy is splogna. Splogna. And it literally means from the bowels. From the depths of God's person. From the heart. It is because of the heart of God. Because of the depths of His love. 
the sun shall rise on this dark world in Jesus Christ. John rejoices, or excuse me, Zechariah rejoices in John's message, pointing us to Christ, to the tender mercy of God. And this message is so simple. If you look at Mark chapter 1, verse 15, it summarizes John's serm- all John's sermons, all his preaching, all his life in three words. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. This is the heart of God towards sinners on earth. Repent and believe. This is the heart of God. This is the tender mercy. This is the dawn that brings light to a dark world. Jesus has come to bring salvation for all who repent and believe. And this fills Zechariah's heart with joy. Congregation, is this message still not true for us? There is mercy There is love for those who repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And for those of us who do love Christ, who rejoice this Christmas season, that our salvation has come, are we not now obligated to tell others about this Gospel? John was the day star who prepared the way for the dawn. He shone the light to others in the sin-darkened world, we now also are called to shine the light of Christ to our friends and our family. God has spoken not only to us or to Zechariah, but He's spoken to this world. And Zechariah doubted that message at first. But then he rejoiced. 2,000 years later, that God is in fact merciful. God is merciful that when servants repent and believe and trust in God's Messiah, that He will save. Are you listening? He has come once to bring mercy, but Christ is coming again to bring judgment. Will you listen and believe In Jesus Christ. Repenting and believing. I pray you will. Let's pray. Amen. Merciful Father, we thank you that you have raised up a horn of salvation for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask now, God, that you would be pleased to touch our ears by your Holy Spirit. To hear the words of Christ that he has come for salvation. He has come to bring deliverance and mercy as He has prophesied of old. We pray, Heavenly Father, that You would give us the grace to listen and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray all these things in His name. Amen.